0: The Local Edition, only on Radio Catskill.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Local Edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you for joining me on a Monday evening. Coming up, learn more about Sullivan County Youth Services. Patricio Rabia talks to Kristen Kitson. But first up, it's our weekly check-in with New York Focus, the independent newsroom with in-depth reporting on how the state really works. And New York Focus has a series of articles focusing on the New York Court of Appeals. The latest is New Pro-Defendant Decision Signal C Change at New York's Top Court, chronicling a significant shift for the state's highest court. The author of that article... New York-focused reporter Sam Mellons is on the phone with us now. Sam, welcome back to the Local Edition.
2: Oh, good to be here, Jason. Thank you.
1: So we're going to talk about the changes in the types of rulings that you've noticed coming out of the Court of Appeals, but can you set the story up for listeners by uh, telling us more about the court itself?
2: Yeah, the Court of Appeals is the highest state court in New York. It's the final word on all matters of state law, anything from when police can stop someone's car, to when an employee is entitled to compensation for a workplace accident. It's made up of seven judges, and it uh, meets for most of the year in Albany.
1: And recently, there's been changes to the personnel on the court, right?
2: Right. So I think it makes sense to go back to uh, summer 2022, when Chief Judge Janet DiFiore unexpectedly resigned from the court, leaving an opening for the, the court's, uh, head, uh, that post, after a bitter political fight where the state Senate rejected Governor Kathy first nominee, Hector LaSalle, that post was filled in April by Judge Rowan Wilson, uh, who has, was actually already on the court as one of the associate judges. So that left a vacancy for his spot. And that was filled the same month in April by Judge Caitlin Halligan, who had been a lawyer in private practice and, uh, you know, very respected and highly thought of litigator. And she is now one of the associate judges of the Court of Appeals.
1: Does anybody know exactly why uh, DiFiore resigned? And does that play into the, the politics and the functioning of the court at all?
2: A lot of people have focused on the fact that uh, there was an ethics investigation ongoing into some of her conduct when she resigned, some of her, and whether she had uh, abused her authority as a judge to try to get a uh, certain officer of the court disciplined. Uh, but that investigation never came to its conclusion, and we don't know what would have happened if it did. But that's one reason that some observers have pointed to.
1: So what's been happening in New York's top court? you think that is becoming more open-minded about the rights of people accused of crimes?
2: Definitely more favorable to the rights of defendants. Janet DiFiore, the former chief judge, led this sort of block of like-minded judges during, towards the end of her time on the court that was very much in favor of prosecutors' arguments as opposed to defendants. In her last year on the court, um, Every time that the judges disagreed on a on a criminal trial, where some so so, some sided with the prosecution and some sided with the defense, the prosecution won every time a majority of the judges led by De Fiore. Defendants lost every single one of those cases. And when we look at the last few months on the court with Rowan Wilson now as the chief judge and Caitlin Halligan taking his spot on the court, that's no longer true at all. We, we use the, the, word, the phrase sea change in our article. And... Uh, defendants, it seems so far, now have a much better shot at winning their cases, making arguments like they weren't well represented by their lawyers or the police came into their home without a warrant so, that, so they, that the search was illegal. The the new composition of the court is much more favorable to those arguments than it was a year or two ago.
1: So now tell me about Judge Caitlin Halligan and the role that she's playing in these changes that you're noticing.
2: So a lot of these cases uh, concerning the rights of people accused of crimes are very close. It's a seven-member court. A lot of them are coming down four to three. And to be sure, some of them are coming down seven to zero or six to one, so it's not any one vote that makes the key difference. But a lot of the cases are, are very closely divided, and um, Halligan has been voting in many recent cases with... The more liberal judges in favor of defendants. So you could say cast in the deciding vote. You could say any of the four are cast in the deciding vote. But as the newest member of the, of the court and the sort of the least known, uh, we thought it was particularly notable in our coverage to focus on which, which side she had been leaning towards. And it seems like not without exception, sometimes she sides with the prosecution in close cases too. But in a bunch of notable cases recently, she sided with the defendants.
1: And you mentioned that she was, like, the least known. What does that mean, and what are you learning about her?
2: So the other judges of the, of the court have been on the court for longer, so we've gotten some time to get used to their styles and their, their tendencies on the court. But also, bef- many of them, before they joined the court, were judges of some sort. Uh, judge Shirley Troutman, for example, was a judge in an appeals court upstate. Judge Madeline Singus. She wasn't a judge, but she was a prosecutor in Nassau County. She was the district attorney there. So that gave some idea of how she would approach criminal cases on the bench, you know, uh, inclining much more towards the prosecutor side. Um, Caitlin Halligan had never served as a judge before and had been, had spent m- uh, m- much of her career, certainly recently as a lawyer in private practice. So it was more unclear how she would approach these kinds of cases. And so that was why we were paying particularly close attention to the way she was going to vote when she joined the court a few months ago.
1: And how are people reacting to this?
2: Um, well, some, uh, there's been a sort of a growing movement over the past few years among uh, criminal justice advocates and defense lawyers and some academics who have said, and this is something that we've reported on a lot, who have said the court is getting too conservative. It's out of step with the values of New Yorkers who tend to be liberal, tend to elect Democrats, have elected a supermajority of Democrats to both houses of the state legislature, and the New Yorker's top court should reflect that. Um, and I think that side of the political discussion is very cheered by what's going on and, and sees this as a really positive development for New Yorkers. Uh, for this article, I also talked to several state senators. Uh, I mentioned that the state senate. Uh, rejected the initial nominee to replace Chief Judge Janet DiFiore over concerns that he is a judge named Hector LaSalle over concerns that he was too conservative. And the state senators that I talked to, like the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Brad Hoylman Siegel, or the deputy majority leader, Michael Gianaris, they're also very pleased with the way things are going. And they think that uh, by uh, putting Halligan on the top court, they've you know, uh, push New York towards further towards the direction that they want to see things going.
1: Okay. And can you give us some examples of some of the rulings that, that you're looking at, to, that you're reacting to, and that now, you know, other folks reacting to as well? Can you give us a couple examples?
2: Yeah. So one example is there was a case where uh, police are, are trying to arrest a certain man they go to the building where he lives it's a two family house they don't have a warrant in general you if you want to if you want to enter someone's house you know us constitutional law says you need a warrant to do that if you want to enter their house to search it or to arrest them they don't have a warrant they go into the sort of the little vestibule that isn't his house it's in the building but it's not his house someone who, he doesn't let them in someone else lets them in they're in the vestibule they look into The, his unit, the door is open. They see the person that they think they're trying to arrest. They go in and arrest him. And he says, this was illegal, uh, because you didn't, you entered my house without a warrant. You could have gone to a judge and gotten a warrant and gotten the judge to allow you to come in and that, then that would have been a legal entry. But if you do that without a warrant, that violates the Constitution. This went all the way up to the top court, to the Court of Appeals, and they agreed with him. They said, this police search was illegal. You have to send this back to the lower court and give this man another trial. Uh, And there's a a lot of uh, sort of similar cases like that. There was another four, uh, this was one of the closely divided four, three rulings that I mentioned where Halligan sided with the defendant, where a defendant had been, had committed and been convicted of unlawful imprisonment of a minor. And because of this crime, he was required to register as a sex offender, because New York law defines this as a sex crime. And he protested this, saying, my crime didn't, it wasn't a sexual offense. It didn't have any, there was no sexual contact involved. And being a sex offender comes with these uh, sort of negative connotations and restrictions on where you can live. So he said, it violates my rights to make me register as a sex offender when my crime didn't have anything to do with a sexual offense. And the court agreed with him and removed the sex offender designation.
1: In your article, you point out that Judge Halligan has voted for new trials for defendants in certain situations. Can you talk about what that means?
2: Right. So that's one of the sort of the remedies that uh, that uh, uh, the Court of Appeals or you know, higher courts have when they find that someone has been unjustly convicted or convicted in ways – that uh you know that where part of the case against them violated the law, like this illegal entry into this man's house to search it. They can say, they can send it back to the lower court and say, uh, since the things that were used to convict this person uh were partly against the law, you need to do this trial over and exclude those things and see whether the conviction still stands without those things. So that that will be happening in several of these cases that the Court of Appeals has heard recently
1: you also make note that even though you're noticing these changes on the court, there isn't really a solid liberal group that isn't a fully liberal court. Uh, is is that what you're trying to say?
2: Yeah, that is what I'm trying to say. What it means is, uh, you know, sometimes on, uh, on court, if you get a group of judges who stick together really tightly and are almost able to control the outcomes of cases in whatever way they want because they have a majority they stick together They they always rule on the same side and they, they sort of you can see them working together Some people say this is what's going on on the United States Supreme Court now where the uh, more conservative judges have a majority And we don't see something like that on the Court of Appeals right now There are more liberal judges. There are more conservative judges Uh, But it's not the case that either side consistently wins or really seems to have control over the court's decisions.
1: Right. So New York State Court of Appeals, it's the highest court in the state. Uh, but the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, that's the highest court in the nation. So can any of these rulings be appealed to the Supreme Court? And with the somewhat liberal shift that you're noticing in the tone of its rulings, is the New York Court of Appeals now going to be increasingly at odds with the more conservative-leaning U.S. Supreme Court? I
2: am pretty sure the way this works, and if, uh, if you have law professors among your listeners, maybe they can uh, call in if I get any of the finer points wrong. But I'm pretty sure the way this works is that the United States Supreme Court is the final word on the United States Constitution, which is how some of the cases of the Court of Appeals are decided using United States constitutional law. And if a case goes to the Supreme Court, that that can be overturned. But the, the Court of Appeals is the final word on the New York State Constitution. We have our own. Every state does. Uh, And those cases are not subject to review by federal courts, including the Supreme Court. And one thing that we've seen in recent decisions, and I think we may continue to see, is an increasing reliance from the Court of Appeals on New York State constitutional law and thinking about ways to preserve the rights of New Yorkers under New York State constitutional law, perhaps because of this conservative turn on the Supreme Court with I actually heard uh judge chief judge Rowan Wilson speak last week and he said uh when I was growing up uh, he he's he he happens to be black and he said when I was growing up and it, during the civil rights movement we associated states rights with segregationists and george wallace and and all that but now with the way the supreme court is i find that i've become a bigger proponent of states rights and for him that means uh the tradition of New York state constitutional law. So I think we may see an increasing focus on that in the coming years.
1: Ah, So e- so even if the jurisdictions don't necessarily overlap between the Supreme Court and New York state court of appeals, the, the what's happening in the Supreme Court can change how people regard the work of the New York state court of appeals.
2: Certainly. And then there's some cases where, where, you know, the the cases themselves overlap or the cases themselves influence each other. But then there's some cases where the where it's more that the overall trends are influencing each other rather than the specific cases. Yeah.
1: Sam, is there anything else you want folks to know about this story and your, your take on all of this?
2: Well, just that uh, we're going to continue covering the Court of Appeals. I think it's a really interesting time with all these changes and uh, we're going to keep reporting on it and folks should check out New York Focus to stay up to date.
1: Yeah, and that uh, leads right into my final question for you, which is what what's next for you as a reporter? What story are you working on next, if you're able to give us any hints?
2: Yeah, well, looking looking a little bit further ahead, um, you know, the New York State legislative session runs basically in the first half of the year from January to June, where they have to work out a budget with over $200 billion of spending in it and all kinds of other uh statewide political issues so we're we're one of the things we're doing right now is we're gearing up for that to start again and thinking about um, what are going to be the major issues this year and trying to tack, tackle some of the serious problems the state faces with things like uh, housing and adapting to climate change and uh, any number of other issues so folks should stay tuned for that
1: Alright Sam Mellon thank you so much for going over all this with us Great to be here Jason thank you the article is new pro defendant decision signal sea change at New York's top court. It's up now at WJFF We've been speaking to the reporter, who wrote it, Sam Mellons from New York Focus, and they're online at NYSFocus.com. It's NYSFocus.com. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We're talking Sullivan County Youth Services. Stay with us.
2: You're listening to the local edition. Winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
3: Hi, I'm Bill Williams, the host of the Kingfisher Project right here on Radio Catskill. From all of us at the Kingfisher Project, we're wishing you a happy holiday. From all of us here at Radio Catskill, thank you for listening to the Kingfisher Project. We want you to have a safe, And festive holiday season, and a happy new year.
2: NPR and this station are supported by the communities we serve. In return, our journalism is available to everyone free of charge. Keep this public service strong. Donate today. Make your year-end tax-deductible donation before December 31st. Make a one-time donation of any amount at wjffradio.org.
1: Thank you. Welcome back to the Local Edition, news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and still to come, we'll be checking in with Youth Services of Sullivan County, But before that, we do have a story about the Olympics. In 2026, the Olympics are going to be in Italy. That's the 2026 Winter Olympics going to be in Italy. But maybe they'll also be returning to New York State. The Regional Development Authority, which manages and maintains the Olympic venues in Lake Placid, has submitted a bid to host the 2026 Winter Olympic sliding competitions. WAMC's North Country Bureau Chief Pat Bradley reports.
3: The 2026 Winter Olympics will be held in Milan, Cortina, Italy. In October, the organizers informed the International Olympic Committee that the Italian government wanted the sliding events moved because it had become too expensive to refurbish the existing tracks, which had been used during the 1956 Olympics and subsequently closed. Bids were then requested from any current sliding venues to host the 2026 competitions. U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee CEO Sarah Hirschland announced Thursday that the Olympic Regional Development Authority in Lake Placid wants in.
4: Their expertise and dedication have really made them an ideal candidate to host the sliding sports of bobsled, skeleton, and luge. The USRPC stands firmly behind this bid effort and believes that their proposal presents a compelling solution to host an extraordinary Olympic and Paralympic experience.
3: The bid details bobsled, luge, and skeleton facilities in Lake Placid and cites decades of experience hosting major winter sports events. It outlines the location for an athlete's village, spectator accommodations, and provides a logistical plan and proposed schedule to shuttle athletes between Lake Placid, New York City, and Milan. Olympic Regional Development Authority Director of Communications, Darcy Rowe Norfolk, is also bid director. The IOC um, recommended to Milano Cortina that it consider only existing operating tracks for this bid, and we are an active and fully operational track right here in New York State that is willing and able to serve and be a part of the Olympic movement in this capacity. So right now we even are hosting the uh, Luge World Cup, um, which kicks off you know the season in Luge. And so just just an example of how we are at a high level giving athletes great experiences and willing and able to host great events. New York State Assemblyman D. Billy Jones supports the Orta bid. The Democrat says win or lose, it's a way to showcase the world-class facilities in Lake Placid.
2: New York State has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in these facilities in the past several years. You know, the Olympics are set to be in Milan Cortina, and they do not have a track. So what do we have in Lake Placid? World-class facilities for the sliding sports. So why wouldn't we put in a bid? We also marry in New York City on this because we have proposed to having the medal ceremonies at Rockefeller Center or to put together a wonderful proposal. And this is a solution for the IOC, for a situation that they find themselves in and we're ready to go.
3: The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee says Salt Lake City, which is the site of the only other sliding complex in the U.S., declined to submit a bid because it's preparing for the 2034 Winter Olympics. I'm Pat Bradley, WAMC News.
1: Thank you, Pat Bradley and New York Public News Network, for that report. Finally, tonight on the local edition, we're going to close out with our weekly update with Sullivan County government. And this week, our discussion is focusing on youth services provided by the county. And to get into this topic, Radio Catskill's own Patricio Rabio spoke to Youth Services Manager Kristen Kitson earlier today.
4: The Youth Bureau here in Sullivan County oversees programs for the entire county from zero, from age zero to age twenty-one. So what we do is we get monies from our local legislature and from the state, and we allocate money out throughout the county to provide programming. We also do advocation for youth. We look for needs and wants in the community, and we try to fill those voids.
0: Actually, I saw on Facebook recently some of the high schoolers came to visit the government center. What was this initiative all about?
4: Yeah. That one was pretty exciting. That one we're calling those government days. It started last year when St. John Street School came and their class came over and they sat through the legislature meeting and after they got to meet with the county manager, county attorney, other people came in and, and we had a Q and A Q&A session. It was amazing, eye opening. In November, we hosted Sullivan West. We had about 30 students. Again, just a, an opportunity to see Where do all these laws and all these rules come from? And what role can you take as a youth in your local government? And you have an opportunity to talk to, again, your local legislature, your county attorneys. Nancy Buck, our treasurer, came in. Russell Reeves, our county clerk, came in. We can bring anybody in. If anybody's interested in partaking in our government days, we can customize it to whatever needs you have. So let's say you have a group, like a Girl Scout group or a scouting group or a school, anything. We, we can definitely work with you and introduce you to our local government.
0: That's an awesome way to introduce the youth to local government, to be there in person, to actually see what happens in local government, because these are future voters. These are people who will be voting for legislatures in, in a couple of years from now. Maybe they're not aware of what happens in local government or even aware that legislature does exist.
4: Yes, yes. And I have to also, yes, thank you for bringing that up, because we do have Board of Elections that does also participate, and our Commissioner of Jurors also participate. So all these things that these, the youth are going to have to eventually participate in, they're going to get a feel for it now, and it's just an amazing opportunity.
0: Now, looking back in this past year with youth services, anything stands out to you? that you're most proud of or anything funny that has happened that you want to share or any of the initiatives were so successful you want to talk about?
4: I think there's two things that we're especially proud of is our youth internship program. We were in St. John Street twice already and we graduated some youth who are going to get paid jobs within the community. We're going to be working with other school districts and we basically push in. We have a program where we educate the students about What's it like to get a job? What's it like when you have a job? Career readiness, and then writing their resumes, mock interviews, and then again getting them paid jobs. So I'm so incredibly proud of our youth internship program. And the other thing I'm really, I'm really proud of is the the new programs that the Youth Bureau has pulled in so we've done a lot of outreach in our community and try to get the name out and basically rebrand the youth Bureau so if you'll see around social media and all around your the county different events going on for the youth and we can't take credit for all of them but we do fund quite a bit of them We fund about 40 programs at the moment so it's pretty exciting
0: That's a lot of programming for, for the year. Now looking ahead to 2024, what services can the community expect from youth services?
4: We are—we do want to hear from the community. We want to know what do they need. Where are we missing the ball? Where are we? Where do we got to fill these gaps? Well, I have been meeting with some local municipalities to try to get them involved to get them funding to run programming. The state has allocated a lot more money for us to push out programs. So keep an eye out. There is about 15 new programs coming to the county, and the best way to find out what these programs are is on our webpage, which I'm going to be updating very shortly with all the new programs, and to follow us on social media. It's SC Youth Pure. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and there's always something going on every weekend in this county, and it's beautiful, because everybody says there's nothing to do in Sullivan County, which, yes, we have more work to do, but... We've come a really long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's something I hear a lot uh, from folks about. There's not enough things for the youth to do in the county. And some folks may not realize what the county does to sort of fill in that gap or try to fill in that gap.
4: Yes, yes. It, we're very lucky here at the Udbeer. We have so much backing from all levels here in government and our community to make all these initiatives happen. And we're just got running with it. We're just running faster.
0: <laughs> Is there anything else that I have not touched on that you want? Folks to know about when it comes to youth services,
4: the only I want to really push is that if you have something going on, please reach out to me. I would love to share it. I would love to get the word out to to let everybody know what you're doing. Also, if there's something going on and that you want change or you see a void in this county cause we got to hear from you, please feel free to reach out with me with the good and the bad because then we can make those changes in those areas that need
0: absolutely. We were talking to the manager for youth services for Sullivan County, Kristen Kitston. Thank you so much for joining us on the program, letting us know what youth services is all about, and have a great holiday. Thank you
4: so much for having me. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon.
0: For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio
1: Robayo. Thank you, Patricio. Well, that's going to do it for the local edition. I've been your host, Jason Dole. I'll be back tomorrow evening to do it again. Remember that Tim Bruno will be here with you tomorrow morning, starting at 10 for Radio Chatskill. Thank you again so much for listening. and encourage you to do keep listening on air, online at wjffradio.org, or ask your smartphone, your smart device, just to play Radio Catskill. Coming right up, we've got The Daily, which will be focusing on the Argentinian election. Then at 7, it's Laura Flanders' show talking about domestic terrorism and LGBTQ harassment. And then at 7.30, Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel talking about wintertime. It's all still to come right here, Radio Catskill. Support comes from
3: The Creek House Grill. Fresh food, drinks, and cocktails on the Delaware River in Calicoon, New York. Menu and hours at thecreekhousegrill.com. From the Forestburg Playhouse. Live entertainment in the Sullivan Catskills since 1947. With musicals, plays, cabaret, arts education, concerts, special events, and more. Tickets at fbplayhouse.org. Hi, this is Laura Flanders, and you can catch The Laura Flanders Show, which I produce right here in a cabin in Sullivan County every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You'll hear interviews with social critics, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs, forward thinkers who are building tomorrow's world today, deep conversations about change with the leading thinkers and doers of our time. That's The Laura Flanders Show, Monday night, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
1: Hi, I'm Aaron Bendich, and I host Borscht Beat on Radio Catskill. I played the musical traditions of Yiddish folk song, klezmer instrumentals, and Jewish song from the
2: last
0: 2,000-plus years. I hope you are all having a wonderful, happy
3: Hanukkah, and I hope you enjoy whatever other holidays you might be celebrating. From all of us here at Radio Catskill, have a safe and festive holiday season and a happy new year.
0: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. You're listening to Radio Catskill.